Angela. I'm Naomi, and welcome to Queerly Yours. We are two queer, polyamorous folks who have often been asked for relationship advice by friends, so we decided to put our insights on the internet. This is a podcast about how we have built our relationship over time, how you can build yours too. And today we're talking about a topic that is near and dear to both of our hearts. We are talking about tabletop role-playing games, or RPGs. This is a little bit of a left turn away from sort of the subjects we normally deal with on this kind of podcast, but we promise there is a reason why we are covering this kind of thing, and they do have sort of a connection for us in terms of thinking about relationships and talking about them. Yeah, it's not just because we like RPGs, though largely it is because we like RPGs, uh, but because of that, that makes them something that's really relevant to our relationship, both with each other and also the relationships that we have in our broader community and social spheres. So, Hun, keeping with sort of our focus for this kind of recording and conversation, why do you actually like this format? Why do you like tabletop role-playing games so much or even just at all? <laughs> that's a big fun question. I like your your specificity of phrasing, too. Why do I like them so much? <laughs> Many reasons. I did not really grow up with RPGs in any kind of official format. I was not like a kid who played D&D, except in the sense that while my older cousin and his friends played it, they would let me run around the room pretending to be a dragon and occasionally incorporate me into plot a little bit. But I did a lot of theater. I did a lot of play acting. I did a lot of storytelling. That was always something that brought me a lot of joy. And then I really got more into playing tabletop role-playing games and understanding what they were and what they could offer me creatively and structurally during my time in grad school, because I was living on this island off the Washington coastline, and happily, I was surrounded by pretty dang cool people, but it was still a really, really small group of people. I was basically primarily just seeing the people in my grad cohort and not many other folks, so it was pretty isolating. It was so isolating on some fronts, in fact, that when I did get the chance to go into the mainland, I reveled into it, and I attended a comic convention where I got to play a tabletop RPG called Follow with a group of strangers, and one of them, the one who ran it, recommended to me that I should look into a local story game meetup group, a game group that specifically focuses on the RPGs that work a lot with storytelling and narrative and sort of owe more of their roots and stylings to improv theater than they do to really stat-based games or to like histories of like war games or video games or other more like number crunchy based things. They're more the zone of the storytelling. And I had such a good time that I got in the habit of, I couldn't do it often, but once a month, a few times a month when I could manage it, I took a bus and then a ferry and then another bus to get into downtown Seattle and play RPGs. And it was a really, really influential way that I created a social circle for myself in Seattle. And it scratched a lot of the sort of emotional itches that missing getting to do theater had been causing for me. It fulfilled a lot of the same roles for me that theater did. It gave me some inspiration for art at times even. And it helped me think more about design and storytelling and open up sort of new conceptual spaces for me as a writer and as a creative person because I hadn't done like fiction writing for fun in years, not really much since I was a kid. And suddenly I was crafting these stories collaboratively and designing characters and learning how to run games. So there's a lot of reasons I like it. And we'll get into more dimensions across the course of this podcast episode. But I know one key factor for me 
is, was, has been that RPGs have helped me form community and they have helped me scratch the creative itch that I often have, the sense that I need to be doing a project, that I need to be building, designing, crafting something, that I need to be telling a story. And because RPGs are a collaborative format, they make me beholden to other people. If I'm committed to playing a game, I have to show up to that game. Whereas if I'm trying to get the motivation to draw or write something just for me, it can be harder to create that time and space. But when I'm doing that through relationship, when I'm doing that in community with other people, I find it easier to make the space to welcome that into my life. And so I feel like RPGs have made me a happier and more prolific and socially engaged creative. That was long. Uh, Over to you, babe. (laughs) What excites you about RPGs? I assume you were going to take your time with like giving an answer, hon. You normally do chew on these things as much as you can. And that's a good thing. Very fair. I do. I'd say uh, it's slightly in contrast to Naomi, but in some ways similar. Um, I kind of went about it more directly from like Dungeons and Dragons kind of being my first exposure. And like my first time playing a game was with terrible people who used to be friends with in high school. I think we were like playing fourth edition and like the whole process of creating a character just felt kind of mind numbingly boring and just number crunchy. And I just actually really hated a lot of aspects of that. And I grew up with a sense of this is the ultimate like nerdy like loser kind of thing to do like if I'm being entirely honest now I'm like at a I'm a bit older and I've fully accepted my complete nerd geekdom like levels I'm quite happy about this and proud about these elements of myself sort of similar to Naomi I think a lot of what tabletop RPGs have filled for me in terms of my social life is and just like uh, in a lot of emotional ways it's just been connection with other people because when I started to get back into them mainly at first through watching a lot of like D&D shows, especially Critical Role, I, I put a lot of the, a lot of my initial interest getting back into these kinds of things is that, but a lot of what D&D in terms of representing certain tabletop RPG games as like a medium of like creativity did for me was like give me a way to feel like inspired to like create stories for characters. I literally made one particular character to fit every class in that particular system and like it felt amazing and inspiring to just go through all of these different classes and chew on well what would a backstory for this character be like what histories did they have and it felt like D&D in particular but tabletop RPGs overall it felt like a format to actually just indulge in creativity and especially with formats like Roll20 and Discord servers and things like that having actual groups to connect with that didn't inherently rely on having to see people in person means a lot to someone like me where I don't really have a lot of major modes of transportation to get around. Like I could take buses, but there's not really like a local game meetup with groups that I necessarily trust per se. Like I've been to like one game shop near me where it's a lot of dude bros and a lot of heavily like white cis straight kind of dudes who have very particular war game or like traditional geek nerddom space mentality to things and so finding the particular groups that I'm in and running my own game it's felt like a way of taking a lot of what has been negative in tabletop role-playing games and a lot of things that I don't like in my everyday life and having a format to like be creative try and create stories create like different interactions and create wonderful memories with people who I'm starting to like work out are like really amazing or figure out some folks like we have tensions but we can work it out there's just something wonderful about the possibility to get to indulge sort of like Naomi said my 
improv kind of impulses because I feel like I have a lot of those to let out or feel comfortable doing with other people and I feel like this is a format of which with trying out different systems like Cypher System, Scum Villainy, and Monster of the Week, it's felt like I'm seeing more and more different ideas to build my own worlds, to be creative around, and to just have fun with other people in a shared geeky interest, while also still trying to think about like a lot more difficult issues in my life in a format that feels safer to be like trying out these different elements of myself or trying out who I would be in a different life in some ways. So sort of tabletop RPGs represent just a really fun creative outlet, but also a really needed emotional and social outlet to interact with people who in my everyday life I don't get a lot of access to. That was beautiful. I'm so hyped that we're talking about this. I feel like there's there's so many dimensions and ways that we could approach this topic, and we might approach it from other angles in future episodes. We've also talked about the potential of maybe doing some bonus episodes where we play some RPGs, because there's really a lot of really charming two-player RPGs out there. So if that's something that you are hyped about, please let us know. Uh, we would love to know if that's something that folks are into, though we might do it anyway, just because we think is fun. Knowing us, we probably will do it anyways, just because we want to. <laughs> yeah, we certainly play enough games. It would not be a hard thing to schedule or loop in to what we do. But this is a relationship podcast, and we very intentionally interpret and approach relationships in a relatively broad way, because the point of this podcast is not to be just about us. We are the hosts. We are the folks running the narrative here, interpreting and describing things. But we are not the only people in our own social worlds, and the relationship between the two of us is not the only rich and important relationship in our lives. We're very intentionally engaged with things like talking about family, talking about other partners and community connections, talking about friends. Those relationships matter too, and those relationships shape us. They're all connected to each other. They're, none of them exist in isolation as singular entities that aren't informed by our experiences with our other relationships. And for both of us, as we both noted in our intros, RPGs in particular are a type of social format and way of interacting with other people that have supported and currently support both of us in times and places where we feel isolated. So there is a kind of emotive and structural intimacy to that that I think is important to acknowledge, both in terms of its positives for us particular in these circumstances, but also for how tender and important and in some cases like emotionally vulnerable or dangerous RPG spaces can end up being because they can become really powerful frames of reference and factors in people's relational lives. As often, we have a little list of topics that we wrote out to remind ourselves of what we want to go through and address in this. One thing that I think connects a bit into what I'm rambling about now is the fact that for both of us and for a lot of other people, tabletop games can be a place where you can connect with other queer and trans folks in a social sphere where if you want to, you can really incorporate and explore a lot of those aspects of yourself, ways to express yourself, different ways of being in the world, and also just being around other queer and trans people in a social format that's a little bit formatted, that gives you some ideas of what to do or what to say or how to interact but that isn't necessarily solely or explicitly about being queer and trans. And don't get us wrong. We both are want to be very clear in saying 
that those spaces that are specifically oriented around like trans and queer related issues, whether they're political, whether they're just a hobby or some sort of social gathering, those are still needed for way more reasons than either of us could probably state. Although knowing you, hun, you could probably state quite a lot of them. You are very good at saying all of those kinds of things. But oh yeah, maybe another podcast episode. <laughs> I don't know how long we want to make this. But there is a sense that like when it comes down to baseline related issues, uh, when we're talking about queer and trans identity and what a lot of queer and trans folk need, we there's a lot of like political issues we could get into in terms of housing healthcare, being able to pay rent, a lot of different things just from that. But there's also a baseline of when we talk about the future of like what a better, let's say, disabled future, queer future, person of color centered future, decolonial future, like any of these sorts of like, I could throw thousands of buzzwords, but just when we talk about more just futures in general, part of that involves play. Part of that involves opportunities for enjoyment Mm -hmm. and we can definitely either on this podcast or another episode get more into like the political aspects of thinking about like what's the risks involved with games or like what sort of things come up with that but at a very baseline level to the point I'm trying to make right now I'm focusing on is that queer and trans folks just like cis and straight folks like to have fun this sounds like a rather absurd thing probably to some people but Naomi and I also like to have fun. We don't like to spend all of our time being, let's say, educator mode or writer mode or all of that. Like creating stories together, that's fun. Doing improv or like roles together or what have you, doing like silly fun things. We like that too. There's an element to like fun at its baseline that we also like just like anyone else. And there's a baseline, I guess, sort of common humanity that runs through the desire for that for a lot of queer and trans folk that I've seen get into these games and just. I think folks who might find interest in these games and who like I always sort of admittedly with a lot of my usual enthusiasm proselytize to other people about these games and how much I think they'd enjoy them. A lot of it is because getting to be someone else for a while is kind of nice because sometimes that person is not someone struggling right now. It's someone who like can be better than what you are right now. Or they're struggling but they're struggling with a dragon or they're on a quest to kill an elder god or just make out with someone at a party, you know, depending on your game format. Not all games are dramatic high fantasy. I've also played games that are about... This is the other thing. I feel like when we talk about games, we're talking about a lot of dimensions of the tabletop RPG community that, again, are not solely or explicitly for and by queer and trans folks or folks of color, but contain larger percentages of those folks than the game community as a whole, because that's what we like and that's where we gravitate towards. We want to see creators with whom we can identify, and those are often places where we find games that have powerful and engaging narratives that make us happy. Similarly to how when I talk about comics, generally what I mean when I say comics is webcomics, primarily by queer and trans folks. I know that's not the comics market in general. I know that's not the first thing most people think of when they think of comics. I don't know a lot about a lot of the comics people think of first when they think of comics. I can match for that. The landscape is big and vast, and so a lot of what we're talking about, there's so much fun to be had in games, and unexpected fun, fun that is stylistically creative and weird and engaging. Yeah, there are games where you can try to kill a god. There are games where you're literally just trying to flirt with your crush and you're probably not very good at it. There are games that are really strictly formatted. There are games that are so loose that they barely exist and they might as well be a brief improv prompt. They all function in different ways and they all provide really cool and strange and creative varying approaches to the world. 
in ways that can be really powerful. I mean, there's like one game that's like literally one PDF page called Honey Heist that is literally the goal is you're playing a group of bears involved in a heist. That's pretty much all I need to say. That should, for some people, be enough. Honey Heist has been played by some famous people, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, there's a lot in this format that, that could and should be, in my eyes, very welcoming to a lot of different people and could provide just for, like, a lot of moments of fun and silliness. But there's, unfortunately, when we talk about a lot of the good of the things that bring us connection and joy and creativity and collaboration with others we also kind of have to get into a lot of the negative parts because that's in a lot of ways the defining feature of our podcast is thinking about and chewing over the good and the bad and the difficulties and the tense and the growth that happens in relationships and if we're extending that to rpgs there's a lot of really amazing things that we've gotten out of them and there's a lot of things that like even with me saying like i proselytize to people who i feel like should be interested but i know they have an association with a lot of these games and those associations aren't unwarranted. There's a lot of reasons for folks to be potentially stressed out in RPG formats or to not always feel the most welcome there. Like, it is a big, rich, varied landscape, and there's some bright and brilliant stuff, and there's also some kind of painful and tender stuff. I'm trying to find a tweet, and I don't remember who posted it because it wasn't someone I follow. It was just one I saw. I, I want to try and find it, but I remember... Seeing someone talk about how in their tabletop game design, one thing that they think about is, could this game be played using entirely items that you could get in a prison commissary? And that wasn't something that had occurred to me reflexively before, but I feel like it's a really, really good and great example of ways that when people approach them powerfully and thoughtfully and with a more just world in mind, that people can craft tabletop games to be tools of community building and connection and a motive in creative work that are really framed towards accessibility and inclusivity, where you don't have to buy a bunch of dice, where you don't have to have a pre-existing group of people to work with, where you can bring the game and have it fit into your space and your life and nurture you in terms of what you need in your space and your life. That games are not inherently the purview of affluent people with loads of free time, that we are all trying to find a little fun and a little breathing room lives even when it's hard and that we shouldn't ignore the fact that games take time and energy to make and to play but that they don't look one way just like our relationships don't look one way and i think part of the the joy and the difficulty is as because they don't all look one way when we're trying to talk about shoulds even in just our little like two-person format here we're probably already like treading on some people's toes for how they think a certain game should be structured and i say that as someone who in running like my own campaign for D&D. Uh, there are some things I'm relatively traditionalist with some of the mechanics and how rules are written, but there's some things in terms of background lore, or even how people might approach certain situations where I'm like, oh, I messed up. Eh, it sucks for me. It's frustrating, but they had fun. This was a good outcome that they enjoyed. Might as well. And I'm sure there'll be some people who might react to that and be like, why would you let them get away with that? I'm like, well, we're building a story. Story seem much more interesting than a mechanical issue. And some folks are super hardline about how they want to approach certain games. Mind you, that's admittedly from my context a very D&D specific kind of issue. But I think it extends to a lot of how folks might think about their stories in general and also just a lot of the social dynamics of like what shoulds are supposed to apply about games in general or how we even create stories. I feel like that gets to the heart of some of the like under the surface gaming community expectations. 
that folks don't always want to talk about. <laughs> that note from you like provides a lot of examples of the fact that, yeah, it's a community like any other and that there's a lot of narratives and assumptions about who does or doesn't play games and what it looks like to play games and what's important, like how rules versus people end up being seen as important. And I feel like in how both of us play games and how we think and talk about games, a lot of what draws us to that format are their relational aspects. The fact that if you play an RPG, I almost said if you play an RPG right, and I, I don't want to set a singular standard, but also honestly on some of these fronts, I feel like this is stuff that you really do need to do in order to play a game that is being played kindly and thoughtfully with other people. Um, so yeah, what the heck, to play an RPG right, you have to be aware of who is at your table and of who you are as a person and of what you value and of what other people at the table value. This doesn't have to be the world's deepest and most complex understanding. You know, it could mainly involve things like knowing we all really love big stompy monsters, so we're going to play a game where we all get to big stompy monsters destroying a city together. That would be relevant information. But I'm also talking about things like, how do people at this table communicate? Uh, are we all equipped to support each other in participating in this game in a way that feels good and fun for us? If someone isn't talking in the game, are we just going to talk over them and not really notice it? If we do notice they're not talking, do we know what that means? How are we going to respond or interpret that? Like, do we have strategies for supporting someone in being involved when they want to be, but also not forcing someone to engage if they're having a really good time letting the story wash over them and they don't need to say a lot to feel like they're in a good place with the game? How do we strike these balances? And that's me just giving very mechanically based examples, but there's also been some really great discussion. And again, this is not a case where the game world has perfect answers, but I appreciate that the game world involves discussion of things like, how do we talk about consent and emotional boundaries in gameplay? Because when I was trying to make friends in Seattle, there were lots of meetup groups I could have gone to, and a lot of them involved things like, come drink with a bunch of strangers, or come hike with a bunch of strangers. Things where, yes, I do like those activities, but doing them with strangers where I don't know what kind of setup, preamble, icebreaker, groundwork is going to happen, that sounds terrifying. But in the game scene that I was lucky enough to find myself folded into, at the start of a session before we played games, we shared names. If folks felt comfortable and safe with it, they shared their pronouns. We talked about safety tools and tools of communication. Uh, you know, explicit reminders were stated of things like, this is a game, this is meant to be fun. The people are always more important than the characters and the rule sets. You can always take breaks, stretch, move your body, take care of it. If you need to leave, sometimes the best move is not to play. You're allowed to leave games without judgment. You aren't inherently committed to being here. This is a voluntary social thing we are doing as a group of grown-ups. We can do what we need to do to keep ourselves and others emotionally safe. Here's who to talk to if there's a problem. Here are suggestions for tools within play that you can use, things like the X card, things like lines and veils. And again, these tools are not end-all be-all. They don't inherently fix things. They have their own critiques. But the fact that that was a discussion, that that was groundwork, that really spoke to me in a lot of powerful ways as like an anxious person in general, and also as a queer sexual health educator. Because these are not the same as discussions about sexual relationship consent, but they sure as hell parallel them a lot. There are overlapping strategies, and I think about that. In terms of places in my life where I tend to have really deep discussions of consent dynamics, it's with intimate partners and with people I play RPGs with. Those are the spots. I would say a not exact parallel to that, but at least sort of riffing off some of the ideas there from more of like in the moment or like, I guess, GM, DM kind of perspective. There's also like when I'm thinking about like what in these spaces actually connects me to them is also just narrative in terms of what happens for like when we're talking about the people like 
the relationships in these spaces as in terms of the social dynamics and such. It also comes down to what you do in the game as well that says these certain people matter or these certain people I shouldn't care about. Because even just in terms of like a design perspective of saying like in your story, it's isn't it odd that all of, for example, the dark people are evil or isn't it weird that sexual violence seems to come up pretty easily and no one says anything about it or there are no disabled people. There's a lot of these different elements that can be isolating for a lot of people. And there's a lot of elements that can like make or break the accessibility of the space, not even just for like the physical components of whether you can get into it, but also the social components of whether you treat other people in those gaming spaces as though they matter in your stories. There's elements of talking about these background things Naomi brought up, like consent, or thinking about how do we treat each other fairly and well and communicate well that are also elements within the narrative itself of what you're building in these various different kinds of games. And it's I don't know, there's some elements where like if you're getting into like the sadder or at least negative components of these games, it's frustrating that these feel like recent or difficult things for a lot of people to get into. Like we can't always get into like these consent conversations or why certain folk are treated in a lot of ways disposable in the narrative or on what we're thinking of as people who can be part of these stories or spaces as a whole, whether in the game itself or just as people inhabiting the spaces themselves, like which people don't play. There's a lot in all of this. There's really a lot. This could be a series. Um, that's why we took notes. Uh, a couple of things. Point one, I found the person who wrote the tweet that I was thinking of. They said, I design original games with the idea that intro RPGs should only use things that you can get in a prison commissary. Oni's is he, him, his pronouns. And that was a tweet from Lamatic Hama, L-A-M-M-A-T-I-C-H-A-M-A, because source people when you're using their work. He's an indigenous game designer, and I really want to look more into what his games are because that single sentence note about his design philosophy hit me like a ton of bricks in the best possible way. So I'll have to look into that more. The other thing I wanted to share was that, Angela, the way you were talking about game dynamics just now made me think of a metaphor that had not occurred to me before, but that I think possibly reflects some of the reasons that we think about games in the ways that we do and value them in the ways that we do. And that is that RPGs are very open to hacking. A lot of games have a base rules format or structure that you can take and repurpose and chop up and reframe or sort of put a new stylistic framework over where someone can write a fantasy game and you can go, I'm going to make this sci-fi or I'm going to add this other element, or I'm going to design a module for this. I'm going to create a new mode of travel, a new species, a new culture. I'm going to use this game system that wasn't designed to tell this kind of story. I'm going to use it to make a cooking show. You know, I'm going to use it for any number of projects. And there's also game systems that are designed to be relatively open scaffolds that people put other things on top of. You know, folks talk about Powered by the Apocalypse games, where that's a a base rules format that folks use. The Fate system, there's all kinds of formats that people have structured in a whole different range of ways. And I feel like that sort of approach to narratively hacking things, of taking a base format or framework and reworking it possibly to the point where it's unrecognizable uh, or more likely into a place where if someone is familiar with the other system, they may see echoes of it, but also still recognize what you're doing as a distinct system. I feel like that makes me think a lot about how we think about relationships and how we encourage other people to think about relationships. That there's all these cultural suggestions and scaffolds and mandates that are surrounding us all the time, saying, here's the framework that you should use. 
to have relationships. Here's what it looks like to have an intimate partner. Here's what it looks like to have a friend. Here's what it looks like to be part of a family. And that queer and trans people both enjoy and as a pure mechanism for survival in tough situations, take all that shit and say, well, we're going to need to hack the hell out of that in order to make it work because we are dealing with circumstances that don't meet standard. And that's not queer and trans specific either. That's something that happens for basically anyone who's not totally part of all the most mainstream non-marginalized social groups. There's going to be something. And even if you are in a mainstream group, probably you should rework stuff because I don't think all heterosexuals are happy. Um, I, I know not all heterosexuals are happy. They make their own memes about how much they hate their wives. There's a lot of that that happens where I'm like, are you, are y'all okay? Do you, do you need a break from each other? They're not. They're not. I feel like we've talked about this on the show. They're really not. But it's important to know that you can hack a game, that there's not one way to do things, that you're not stuck with a system that doesn't work and that leaves you feeling trapped. And within that, and I don't think we always think about this in terms of relationships, when you hack that system, when you design over or on top of it or unravel it until it's no longer recognizable, you are becoming a creator. You are building a new thing. You are collaborating with other people. You are expressing yourself in new and powerful ways. And I think it's exciting that games let people do that. And I think that's also kind of my dream for how I'd love other folks to get to run relationships. And that's a lot of how I try to run mine is to go, hey, what are the rules? What are the structures? How do we want this to work? What feels good? What doesn't feel good? What are we assuming is a must have? And does that actually relate to what we want? Or is that based on what we think we're supposed to want or that we have to? Well, and I feel like that sort of element is exactly sort of what touches on both from a relationship format and tabletop RPGs where when I think about the negative ends of playing games from when thinking about social dynamics of like why people have pushback. Because I'm sure there's some people who like, I'll use D&D an example. I use D&D examples a lot because it's a system that I know most uh, intimately. But like when you stretch certain concepts or when you stretch certain mechanics in it, some folks are very hardline traditionalist or they don't understand why you would incorporate this narrative element or like no one lives like that or they live. There's a certain element where when you do that, if there's not like someone, if it's not the usual response of like, oh, that's not how we normally play it. There's the response of like, well, this is getting in the way of how I do it. And I feel like that's that that sort of impulse of like, well, this doesn't this isn't how we normally do it. And it's getting in of how I how I would do this. I feel like that gets into like a problem that happens not just in games, but also in relationships. There's a sense of like there are certain ways and, and by extension, certain people that matter more. There's certain approaches to how we do this game. There's certain approaches to how we do relationships where certain people are, should be mattered more like that. That's the normative impression of how. The gaming space should work and that's in a lot of ways that says a lot about how we think about relationships because i think there's a lot in a lot of the different spaces that i've been in and a lot of the conversations i've seen happening in tabletop rpg circles about why certain games were terrible or why were they run badly or why did some people leave spaces why wasn't it fun anymore some of it was just like oh it wasn't the kind of game style i wanted to play or the system i wanted to be in but some of it comes down to it's like wow, people have a very specific way about how they think certain people are supposed to act or certain people are supposed to matter or really think that their own enjoyment beats out the group's enjoyment. And I feel like that tension is something that happens a lot in conversations, both for games and relationships. But I think we've been getting into that more and more. And I think we're in an interesting space on to try and talk about that as people who 
enjoy both formats and talk a lot. We talk a lot about those particular topics with each other. Absolutely. And of course, within the format of RPGs, we've played characters who have a whole range of relationships with each other from, you know, comrades in arms to enemies to spouses. So there's a lot of cool energy and space that we get to explore through that. And I think you you have really hit the nail on the head with a lot of the ways that people experience game spaces. There is the structure of whatever the game is officially, and then there's all the ways that people personally and culturally interact with that and what they expect about what it means to play a game right and how people prioritize self versus other, or even seeing things as having to be self versus other as opposed to figuring out how to approach an experience as a powerful collaboration and the collaboration as part of the joy of it. And different games operate differently, you know? There are solo RPGs, just saying. People don't have to go be jerks to each other in that format. My, my, my favorite response I've had a friend say to me about the way in D&D, but also in like a lot of games that like, let's say involve anywhere from like three to five people. And you have that one person, because I know anyone listening to this who's played in tabletop RPG games has had this person where they're like, oh, that's just how my character acts. It's the reason I'm being a selfish person who doesn't talk to anyone, doesn't tell them why I'm doing these things, hoards all of the items or does actions that effectively screws over everyone else. Like I'm being an asshole to everyone and don't communicate because that's how my character is. And I'm like, no, you're being an asshole because you want glory. My friend's response to that was like, if you want that, go play like Dragon Quest or something. Another like RPG, like single player <laughs> game on your own. Go get the glory on your own. This is a format that in a lot of ways inherently, unless it's like specifically a one or two person RPG game, tabletop RPG, involves other people, which means it involves the histories that they're bringing to the table. I know a lot of tables don't try and specifically say ahead of time, it's like, hey, try not to use this as a therapy space or like, hey, we try and have a chill format here. But I can't always feel comfortable with that kind of excuse for approaches to a table because I feel like once you have other people involved, you have to think inherently about where they're coming from. You have to think about the well-being of others because these kinds of games are more often than not, by definition, a group game. A group game involves someone other than you. You can't be a selfish person in that context unless you are purposely being an asshole. I have a lot of feelings around this. I was going to say, I feel like we're sort of looping and venting about some of our very particular game experiences. The, the, main, the main point of that is just that, like, when we're trying to, there's just elements of it where it's like, we're trying to talk about a fun hobby in a format that, like, could have so many more people in it, that we that's brought us a lot of connection. And yet there's also these moments where, like, the way some folks might approach that is to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to fulfill our, like, fantasies of being these characters and enjoy ourselves and escape from the world. And that's really great. But even these games, we still have to deal with as people interacting with each other, bringing our histories. We still have to deal with the reality of, like, what people are bringing with them. Absolutely. You don't get to suddenly escape from that just because we're playing a social game. In a lot of ways, you can't escape that because it's a social game. You might end up going deeper into some of that, just like all games have their own political dimension and location because they're written by people who exist in a specific cultural and political world. So games come with their own value system assumptions, just like all the other structures that human beings create come with those systems. I'll also say to loop into what Angela is noting, you can play a character who's a jerk. There are ways to do that without being an asshole as a player. And not the only factor, but one of the big factors is clarity and consent. I've played games where I've said to folks, the way my character is developing for this game, it seems like I'm playing a pretty pompous jerk who believes that they're the rightful heir to the throne. How do folks feel about that? Does that work? And you let other folks know what you're doing and what your goals are. And you may even have cases where you have things that are secret from the characters, 
where a character doesn't know that another character stole a bunch of the gold and kept it for themselves, but the players know it, and the players are open about it, and they can play and discuss that dynamic and what that means for the story and what kind of story they're crafting together. Because there are totally D&D games where there's sort of a lovable rogue who keeps more than their official share of things, and that works for the format of the game. But it works because people are collaborating with each other and they're being clear about their interests and desires and the kind of story they want and what kind of character they're going to enjoy playing. When you decide that you can dive in with your own personal desires, but not present them as a discussion where you're creating a collaborative, socially mediated experience with others, your desires don't give you an inherent right to drag other people into helping you tell a specific story. They are a factor, just like everyone else's desires are a factor in-game. And if the goal is to create a fun, collaborative experience, then your desires matter, but they are not the only factor that matters. That was very wonderfully said, hun. Thank you! That's what I think, like, through all of my, like, begrudging feelings that I've had in the, like, thinking of over, like, this topic <laughs> that really gets to the heart of it, that it's, like, way too often in a lot of spaces. And I feel like this is, this is a note that applies to relationships in RPGs, social groups, when thinking about entering RPG circles and also in relationships is that your desires, whether it's for your character or what you'd like to have happen with other people, or even more importantly, like come from people or be derived from people or obtained from people, those desires are not a duty or uh, a moral imperative others have to fulfill. They are a potential opportunity for collaboration and discovery. That is all. No one owes you, you being the hero. No one owes you sex in a certain way. No one owes you being coming off looking like a good person in this context. None of those are things that anyone inherently has to give to you because they are other people separate from you. They have their own interests and desires. And as a result of that, it's other people exist. Like it's it's just one of those things where it's like that requires a certain level of like understanding not everyone's like you, which I think in a lot of context relationships or tabletop RPGs, a lot of people don't really want to deal with. <laughs> this is true. It's one of those things that when you dive into that and what that can mean for how you can get to meet cool other people and get different perspectives and experiences through them, then it's joyous. But if you act from a place of really deep selfishness, then the fact that other people exist and have their own dimension is just one of the most frustrating possible things. Which is a shame because like other people existing is kind of fun. Being in relationship with other people is fun. Like we, as much as I've even during throughout this focused on a lot of negatives, I have so many happy memories I could share about doing this with Naomi and with other people I've played with. There's so much creatively fulfilling and socially and emotionally fulfilling things about connecting with people over the ridiculousness of these stories that we create, in part because there's a sense of like, hey, you can tell I'm interested in trying to work this out with you collaboratively. I'm trying to work on this with you. And even if it's a context where it's like I'm playing a game against you or like we have friction, there's enough of a grounding here that we understand like, hey, that's friction there for that moment, not for all of eternity. It's not a grudge that we have to hold towards one another. It's a moment for us to keep figuring out what we want to see happen in the future. I really like that. That's a really sweet description. And I like especially the concepts of how friction and conflict, you can explore those in game spaces where that you can process them thoughtfully and gently and engage with them in ways that work for both people and understand all the interesting nuance and dimensions those things can have in a way that maybe is less scary than how they can manifest in our lives outside of games. This is the first episode where we actually have some like announcements and thank you things to do. Oh god, I forgot about that. We have to do we should definitely do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I posted these things in the descriptions of our podcast. I'm going to go back and update the older ones to match. Both of us have Twitters. 
If you like hearing us talk about things like relationships and game design, there are links to both of our Twitters in the podcast descriptions. We also now both have Patreon accounts. Since I know some of the folks who watch watch our podcast, listen to our podcast, don't necessarily know all the digital formats, Patreon is a subscription platform that lets you pledge an amount of money of your choice to a creator who produces work that you enjoy, and for a small monthly payment, you get access to creative work that they host and post there. Angela has been running her Patreon for a pretty hefty amount of time now. A little over a year. You can read dozens, if not. Are you over 100 poems? How many poems? No, 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 no. I have not reached that point yet. No, my goal is to reach 100 poems by April. Currently, I'm at 76, I think. Ooh, that's still I, a lot. I've been writing Ooh. since, like, last December when I started the Patreon through the advice of a friend and just sort of built it up where I can almost afford my rent every month. Woohoo! So if you like the way that Angela talks so gorgeously and poetically about relationships and game design and politics, you can read her literal poetry and also game design and character concepts and sometimes more broad writings on her Patreon. I've also just started a Patreon. It's got my zines that I've made so far up there. It also in future is going to be a hosting spot for bonus episodes and features of this podcast. And if we hit a certain financial milestone, then that means that Angela and I will actually be making a fair wage for the hours that we spend on this podcast, which currently we produce for nothing. And we keep it ad-free regardless of that, because we don't want y'all to have to sit through that. You just have to sit through the Patreon pitch now. Please subscribe to our Patreons. It makes a huge difference. If you like hearing us talk like this, let us do it with less stress and more time and more ability to order takeout for ourselves and make rent. Also, I get to do the first Patreon thank yous, because we have three folks who have pledged at uh, the flannel level, which (laughs) means they get extra sweet and cozy things. My Patreon levels are named tie-dye and flannel. Tie-dye brightens my day. Flannel keeps me warm and cozy. Oh, I love you, Fun. I'm saying that right now before you get into it. I love you so much. (laughs) I love you, too. And a lot of fun designing my Patreon. You should check it out. Um, So I want to wish... uh, It's all the M crew. Everyone who pledged high has a name that starts with M. So if you have an M name, come join. If you don't have an M name, diversify it. Bring in those new letters. I want to thank Maddie and Megan and Meredith all so, so dang much. Uh, because you all helped me reach my first Patreon milestone goal, which means I can now take out food on nights when I go to game design workshops and I don't have to stress about cooking while also trying to do my game design projects. So that makes a huge difference. You'll also all get little thank you doodles that will go up on Patreon and on my Twitter. And also, um, going forward from here, you will be talking to me post-attending a podcasting convention for the first time. You got anything to add, Hun, before we close out? I feel like we've mentioned it before and it's been brought up. I think our Clearly Yours uh, site actually has our Twitters and Patreon listed on it, right? In every episode description, we've got Twitters and Patreons. And I'm going to go back. I can go back and retroactively update descriptions. So I'll put both our Patreons and Twitters in all the past episodes. Okay, that's just double checking. I figured as much, but I just wanted to double check. Yes. But yeah, thank you to everyone who has been listening to us so far. We are both super grateful. And I personally did not expect folks to have as much interest or to want to like keep hearing us talk or an hour at a time about different topics but yeah this is probably our first venture into like topics that are more in the peripheral of relationship related topics but we can probably keep going on about this particular topic 
in other formats. So if you have interest in that, or if you have any other topics that you want to see us get into, please feel free to comment or DM us or what have you. We love getting to, these chances to talk with each other about different topics because we both really respect each other's opinions on a lot of these things, if it isn't already clear from like our Goonie-like levels of excitement hearing each other talk. One would hope that if we choose to run a relationship podcast together that we like hearing each other's. Otherwise, this would be a really wild, contentious show. It would be an interesting process. No kidding. But yeah, we're really grateful for all of our listeners. It makes us both so happy to see all of the listens that we get. We've been so grateful for every comment and relationship info topic question or suggestion that we've gotten. We've still got a few more to get through in future on that front. We don't necessarily get to them super swiftly since this only comes out every two weeks. But we do read every suggestion that folks send us. We do think on those. We do do our best to incorporate them into the show. And it means so much. This has become such a bigger cooler, more multidimensional project than I think either of us realized it could end up being. Yeah. And I suppose this sort of just a nice little like wrap up for or the main takeaways we can leave you with, or at least some of them, because everyone will always take away something different than we expect from our podcast. True that. We both love this hobby of playing tabletop role playing games for what we create and build in them and for what we get to connect with others to do and create together. And we both probably in our own very long winded kinds of ways and very enthusiastic kind of ways states a lot of the difficulties in them. But I think in a lot of ways, when we're talking about these kinds of hobbies, especially such socially involved hobbies, really getting into the meat of what it means to talk about relationships again. And as has been a takeaway in a lot of things, some of it comes down to basics like communication, being clear about what you're interested in and the games that you're looking for. And also like not having the expectation that other people automatically do what you want them to do, because other people have their own histories around different topics, different games, different people. And those are all important things to think about, because we all have particular things we're bringing with us that are wonderful and sometimes difficult. True that. Shall we wrap it up? I'm Angela. I'm Naomi. And as always, we are Queerly Yours. Queerly Yours is edited and produced by Naomi Bosch, with intro and outro music by Angela Lemos-Mogrovejo. Mm-hmm.